From time to time, I meet people who remind me of the power of and. You know, they're really good at this and really good at that. Not just one thing, greatness across multiple fronts, the power of and. McKenna Hasse is an and person, a professional race car driver and head of her college's undergraduate investment club. We featured this fellow fool on Rule Breaker Investing on July 5th of 2017, a delightful new voice. I particularly love these new and people among our youth, as people like McKenna and my guest this week hold such promise, instill such confidence through their achievement and their character. So, I have another for you this week. I first met Benton Moss, well, thereby hangs a tale. And indeed, as this week's podcast was recorded in front of a live audience at Full HQ, I lead off by telling that story. So, please enjoy this conversation with another of those great and people, my new friend and yours, Benton Moss. Thanks to Audible and the new Audible original Power Moves for supporting Rule Breaker Investing. This podcast, Power Moves by Adam Grant, is available. You can get it for free when you sign up for a free Audible trial at audible.com slash foolpower. Now, that's one of my favorite URLs. I haven't seen that one before. Audible stepping up with audible.com slash foolpower or just text foolpower to 500-500. It's the Rule Breaker Investing Podcast with Motley Fool co-founder David Gardner. Welcome back to Rule Breaker Investing. Well, I want to tell a brief story about my guest this week on Rule Breaker Investing. It's when Benton and I first got to meet each other. I was at the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill speaking at something called the Wilberforce Conference, which is an annual conference in Chapel Hill. And I was talking about finance. And Benton came up to me afterwards and he said, hey, I love finance. Um, I've heard of The Motley Fool. I sometimes access your site. Um, I love this topic. In fact, you went on to say, I blog every week. Uh, pretty comprehensively, you read what's happening in the world of finance. Then you go on to list your favorites and then provide your viewpoints. And you've done that religiously every single week. And I went back later and checked your blog. I was like, what a thoughtful guy. I mean, what a, what a smart guy. And I said at the time, I feel like I recognize you, Benton. I don't know what it is, but I feel like, and you said, well, maybe it's because we're both Moorhead Keynes scholars at uh, University of North Carolina Chapel Hill, a scholarship program that we were both in, and we might have met at one of those reunions or get-togethers. And I thought, oh, maybe that's it. And then I paused a, a sec, and he, Benton, I think you're 25, 25? He was there with his lovely wife, Morgan, and we were all talking. I just said, you know, what, what, do, you, what do you do, though? And Benton said, well, I'm a professional baseball pitcher. And I said, <laughs> I said you're what? Because in my mind, you're a, you're, a, you're a blogger and an excellent one, blogging finance on the internet. But yeah, I went back and checked Benton's stats. He said he just finished a successful double-A season in American baseball at Montgomery, Alabama. And, uh, and I looked up your ERA, was 2.75, I think, uh, over 100 innings as a starter. Thereabout, yep. Thereabout. And that's a pretty great season for a 25-year-old. So it turns out this very engaged, accomplished financial blogger is also a pitcher. And I thought, you know, you got to come visit us at Full HQ. This is a really long windup. I, I, I want to welcome Benton in in a sec, but I, I have to mention what just happened at Full HQ because not only did Benton raise his hand and said, sure, I'll come visit, we'll come visit, and let's do the podcast. But I said, you know, would you come and bring your mitt and a ball? Would you? Could we set up something inside our corporate offices here at the Fool where you could just, because I've always wanted to face a 90 mile an hour fastball, would you just 
throw for us, and we had about 26 fools sign up to stand in on Benton's, Benton's heat. Now, I would say you're not bringing your full heat. Waivers were signed, <laughs> and as I stated before we began the podcast, I've never been so nervous to throw a bullpen, so I'm glad everyone was able to walk out uh, with all limbs attached and uh, no bumps or bruises, and I got some work in today, so thanks for, for hosting a good bullpen session. You're welcome. That was great. That was unique. And something that will a lot of us will remember for a long time here at the Fools. So thank you, Benton. Um, so I want to talk about baseball. I want to talk about finance and maybe life, the interstitials in between. But let me start off by asking you a question. Since I haven't seen you in three months, this is a question that Ralph Waldo Emerson would often ask uh, people he hadn't seen for a few months. And it's this simple question. It's a lovely question. It's what has become clearer to you since last we met? And that's a great question. I will shoot back to you based on your talk at the the conference when you mentioned uh, Steven Pinker's book, right? And um, so I ended up, you know, you had an uh, ad about Audible, ended up downloading the book on Audible. Um, It's a a long read, I think maybe 19 hours, something of the effect, right? Um, Went through it and thoroughly enjoyed it. And um, I think regardless of your sort of your spiritual, your metaphysical beliefs, it's a book that really underscores how uh, or the positive direction that the world is moving in um, because of you know free market capitalism and innovation and where the human trajectory is is headed. And and so something that's become more clear, clear to me is is how excited I am uh, for the future, really. So um, so thank you for the the great book recommendation, really. You're welcome, and we both thank Stephen Pinker, who was on this podcast, I think, in this very space about a year ago, right here in Full HQ. And I think what you and I probably both appreciated about that work, Benton, is that Stephen is. He said, you know, the greatest antidote against pessimism and a pessimistic worldview is just to count, right? And it's all about the data that he puts out in his book, Enlightenment Now, where it's just page after page looking at Pew Research and this or that tech trend or population trends and just saying, look what's happening. It really is pretty remarkable. So, yeah, I should I should have mentioned Enlightenment Now, but so that's the, the book title that you mentioned at the conference. Yes. That I, you know, I listened to it and blogged a little bit about it. And um Great book, though. So yes, that that theme is sort of what has become more more clear to me since we last saw each other. That's that's wonderful. Um, let's start early in your life. You grew up in and around Rocky Mountain, North Carolina. Am I right about that? Correct. What was uh, like uh, 20, 20, about twenty minutes north of Rocky Mountain. Tarboro? No, that's that that's is where you were born. East. That is where I was born. I was raised on a farm. Um, it's technically Enfield, North Carolina. Um, little, very yes, Enfield, but it's E N. Yes, no pun intended. Uh, e N. E N. Enfield. I got it. Yep. Um, so yeah. So, but went to school and, and practically sort of had had our lives in Rocky Mount, though. So, what was life like for you as a kid? Very free. Um, I, I really have to give a lot of credit to my parents for just loving me and kind of letting me pursue passions, um, and they really encouraged me a lot. Um, I loved just how my parents were able to kind of pick me up. I had, you know, everybody experiences failure along the way in, in an athletic career, uh, in school, in, in whatever, and they just really picked me up and encouraged me through that um, just to do my best and to keep, keep striving, you know, keep, keep putting one foot in front of the other. And at what age, Benton, maybe two early moments for you, uh, can you look back to and you say, that's where my love of baseball started. And then a different moment, that's where my love of finance or business started. 
Very, yeah, very easy to answer. So the first one for baseball, uh, it was the very first day I had practice. And my dad took me out there. It's t-ball practice. I think it was four or five. And I told my dad, I want to play pitcher. You, we, they don't pitch. You just stand there. You're, in, you're a fifth it's infielder, ball, right? right? You, you, you stand sit beside. the ball on top of a... Well, no, they taught the coach underhands oh, oh, okay, it. And then okay. you stand next right, to them. But you're not pitching. That's no, the coach. But I'm fielding, right? So I'm the pitcher. And uh, first practice, he throws me a towering pop fly with what he thought was, you know, just a normal ball. It was a hard ball. It was a typical baseball instead of a t-ball, like a softball. And, you know, of course, like any five-year-old who has never learned how to catch, I put my hand up like this, and I think I'm going to catch it, and it hits me right in the nose. Bloody nose. He thought I broke my nose. And he, ca- I, he said, I caught Ashley, my mom. He said, he'll, he'll never play again. I've ruined his career in baseball. Oh, my gosh. And, uh, and, he, and I looked at him, and I said, that hurt, but I still want to play pitcher. <laughs> and uh, I, I told my dad when I was really young, hey, I want to pitch in the big leagues. Uh, I never knew if it would be possible. I never – it still may not be possible. It's, it's hard to get there, um, but, but I do love baseball. Uh, it's been a fun ride. Mm-hmm. And then for finance, I was um, lucky, unlucky, I guess you would say, to really – Take, be taking note um, as in 2008 and nine, as the markets really tanked. Um, my dad had just gotten into, um, I would say more of like a, a kind of one of those trading uh, programs and we got interested in it together. I was probably 15, 16. And um, I started observing what was going on, just kind of the prices. And I kind of took a different, a little bit of a different approach. And I said, okay, who's the, <laughs> who's the richest people, who are the richest people in the world? Let me see if I can learn if, a thing or two from them, like if they've written anything or, or if there are books about them. And, and it's generally as, not the guys selling the trading programs. Is that a fair generalization? Where are the customers' yachts, right? <laughs> and as my wife is prob- would probably say and, and her dad, uh, minor obsession with Warren Buffett and his writing. <laughs> and so, um, so I, that's when I began the long-term value investing education of just going through his letters. Um, I learned about you know other investors that sort of subscribe to a, a similar longer term value investing um, philosophy. And, uh, and I, that's, that's kind of how it took off. And for, even from then, I knew that I wanted to study finance at Carolina. Um, we're surrounded by a bunch of fools who love finance. So, hey, we're all family here, but man, I was a finance nerd starting at probably 15 or 16. I just, I really engaged with it. I loved it. Um, I still am. So I, I do that off the field. Um, some people like to play, you know, guitar or whatever. I, I like to read finance. So Although I think you're pretty good with the guitar too, as I understand it. I'm okay. I'm okay. With the acoustic guitar. Acoustic. I'm okay. Yeah. I'm okay. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious what your dad was thinking as he watched you kind of transform into, as you're saying, a value investor. Like, was he cool with that? Was he proud of that? Was he changed by that? Would he have predicted that that would be true of you? I think we had some good, we had some good discussions. Um, and, uh, I would say my dad is, is most certainly a a value investor. Um, I think a lot of people, um, both him and I got into that side of it, um, from the, from the trading side, getting interested in, in, Mm -hmm. Hey, the market's going hyperbolic up right now. 
Um, so, so typically in, in the later stages of the markets, right, you start to see the, the, the salesmen say, hey, look how easy this is and, and look how much you can do. You can see this in a real estate cycle as well, right? The gurus, hey, let me sell you this on, on this program. And, um, and so we started to kind of, as we saw uh, the market dip and through the cycle, we started kind of understanding this is, this is how the market cycles, well, these are how they work and how can we learn from this, right? Um, so the truth of it is, I don't know if we could have ever seen that. No, who, who saw 2008, 2009 coming? A select I sure few. Did. Yeah, you certainly in did. In retrospect, no, I did not. In retrospect, we all do, but very few did at the time. Of at the course, time, right. As the big short and others have made. Everyone um, loves apparent. to claim it, right? Yeah. But, but in reality, you know, investing can, can be a lot of in hindsight, you know. It's 2020 through the rear view, right? So. Do you feel marked by that? At formative age, age 15, the Great Recession, 2008-9. Are, are your grandkids 60 years from now going to go, yeah, you grew up during the Great Recession? <laughs> I think fortunate for me, um, you know, as we talked a little bit about Rocky Mount, is a very um, steady eddy town, right? And so we didn't have as much of the boom and bust as some of the bigger cities uh, around the country did. Real estate prices didn't really, you know, really boom, and they didn't have, so then they didn't have to bust. Mm -hmm. And um, same thing with kind of the economic activity, right? Um, but as I observed the prices of markets and, and, and such, and kind of the valuations of the day, I mean, I'm, I'm almost 26, and I haven't seen really a full cycle, because I kind of started... I guess you could say at the middle or the top of the cycle, but I mean, we haven't seen another, I mean, it's been only almost 10 years, right? Mm -hmm. So I am, I wouldn't say excited, but I'm sort of excited to go through a full cycle and, and really experience those emotions, if that makes sense. It sure does make sense. It's part uh, of life. Yeah. Because if we all lead the good long lives that we hope to, we're going to have a bunch of those happen. And... I don't think we should be ever overmarked by any one of them. It is that resilience that I think um, is, is a great part of uh, investing and the character building that it does for people like Warren Buffett. Uh, we're going to get to financial blogging in a little while, uh, but let's stick with baseball a little bit more. Um, I'm going to try to embarrass you once or twice with uh, quotes from uh, head coach Mike Fox, who's um, the estimable longtime um, championship coach at the University of North Carolina. And so a couple of things that Mike said about you. He said, uh, Benton's a relentless worker. He's an unbelievable competitor, which some people might not expect. Now, the reason I want to share that quote is I'm not clear why they would not expect that. What, what, what about, what, what is Mike Fox looking at you and seeing when he's saying you wouldn't actually expect that Benton is an unbelievable competitor? I think my competitive side is, is kind of is kind of silent or very quiet, right? Um, but if you get a ping pong table in here, or a ch I saw a chess set upstairs, <laughs> and I know you're a big board game fan, you'll see what I mean. Uh -huh. And uh, Morgan, my wife, is laughing at me right now because she knows sometimes she has to she has to slap me a little bit and say, get off chess, come on, right? <laughs> so I, I, I've become obsessed with chess. It's another wow. way to, to really flex the competitive muscles. Um, I really do have a deep competitive streak, and I try and rein it in a little bit. Um, thankfully, it, there weren't competitive at-bats today from the employees, <laughs> or else it might have gotten a little nastier. Um, but, uh, yeah. Well, it is one of our uh, core values here at The Motley Fool. So, I mean, we celebrate. Of course, anything can be taken too far or not taken far enough, but it sounds like you're hitting the golden mean of competitive pretty well. 
Let me go on with one more quote from Coach Fox. Um, he said, and this was when you, I think you were like a sophomore at, at Carolina at this point. This is like five years ago. But he said, I'm a little bit in awe of the young man. I can't even fathom being his age and doing the things he does with his accomplishments. From community service to athletes in action to his grades to his personal life to music, you wonder if he sleeps at all. End quote. I sleep a little bit more than I did in college. I'll, <laughs> I'll tell you that. Yeah. Um, so I guess because I know part of how I think about you, Benton, what I appreciate about you is that you're trying to operate at a top level across a multiple different contexts. And I'm sure being a top level family man is one of them and maybe most important to you. But um, how about a few tips on personal productivity or how do you manage to, to blog every single week excellently on the internet about finance and be pitching every four or five days and, and try to be great at both? That's a great question, right? I think one thing, another thing that I'm learning, um, and I'm, I'm young and dumb in a lot of ways, one thing that I, that I feel like I'm learning is that focus is very important. And it's a great quote, but um, I'm learning that I need to focus on just less and less things to do them at a higher and higher level, right? So for me, um, and you, you mentioned wanting to be you know, a family man and also having your, your job and your, your work and what you're passionate about. And so um, you know, we only have 24 hours in a day. So for me right now, um, baseball, you know, is in terms of just career uh, is what I'm focused on, but you can't train 24 hours a day. I love to read and I love to explore financial topics. And so I find the time to, to sort of fit it around that. You know, blogging is a very flexible thing. You, you probably better than most know that, um, you know, being, being at The Motley Fool. And so it, it fits sort of very perfectly and easily around sort of the, the schedule of baseball because I, my, my work day doesn't start until about 2 or 3 p.m. Hmm. And I get done, you know, call it 11 p.m. and I come home and spend some time with Morgan. And, uh, and then I get up in the morning and we'll have our nice breakfast and coffee and hang out, spend some quality time. We'll, you know, eventually we'll read or relax. And you even have a lot of downtime at the field where, where you're, you know, potentially you could be uh, lifting or, or maybe you're taking that day off, but you still have to be at the field. It's not like you can just come in and then leave and then come back for the game. So once you're there, you're there. So there's a lot of downtime that you can sort of fit in those interests that you have. And, and reading, for me, fits in perfectly. It's not like I can bring a, an acoustic guitar to the field. Um, I, don't, I don't know the manager would appreciate that. Um, so it, it does fit well around baseball. But, but I am trying to actively get better at saying no. Like Warren Buffett is extreme. He keeps an open schedule. Um, and I think that's what makes him really great is that he focuses. And, um, and, and I think that, that that's very important with trying to do even a couple things really high level is just focus, um, you know, and also focusing on family time and quality time is very, very important. And, um, you know, that's, that is an investment that's so much more important, just relationships, so much more important than, than any amount of money or, or job or career that you could ever have um, mm -hmm. in relationships. And so just focusing, I, I would say, is something that I'm learning to do a, a lot better. Excellent. I'm sure it's something that each of us can improve at. I know I can. Um, part of it for you, Benton, is that you are talented and you can pick up things and be good at them, whether it's chess or a guitar or finance or baseball. And so focus becomes even more important when you're multi-talented, uh, a problem that many of us like me don't have. So, <laughs> but, uh, um, so since 2015, you've been a professional 
pitcher. Um, after three, four years now, what's been your experience of professional sports, the people that you meet? What's the life like? Often minor league baseball is portrayed as somewhere between a dystopia or just a hard dream. Uh, what parts of that are true? What's the life? It's been an incredible ride, and it is a grind. You, if you want to do it the right way, um, you definitely have to train all offseason. Um, you know, you have to, there are a lot of things that you have to say no to, and, and, and including, you know, maybe a really vibrant social life or, or what have you. And so I think that um, interacting uh, with a job in, with the minor leagues is just probably different than like a normal, I guess, nine to five job. I mean, my, my day doesn't start until 3 p.m., right? Yeah, it's and, definitely different from nine to five <laughs> right. job. Uh, you know, and be, people are wondering why I sleep until, you know, 9.30 or 10. Well, it's because, you know, I had a high high intensity workout last night for two and a half hours where I threw a ball as hard as I could, right, for 110 pitches. So, um, you know, try that on for size and see how many days it takes you to, you know, get unsore, right? <laughs> um, so I would say um, another thing that I've really enjoyed are the people and places that we've met. Um, I've kept in touch with a lot of the people that, um, not, not on my team, uh, but I, I mean like uh, off the field. So like some host families, uh, people that I've stayed with, um, you know, just people that I've met in the cities that we've been located and, and places that we've gone, um, a lot of places that I may or may not have ever gone to. Um, I've played in literally every state from Vermont all the way down to Florida over to Arizona. And I, I haven't counted, but I mean, it's, you know, it's probably a good third of, of the United States, you know, the Eastern side. So I um, have played in California. Um, so we're, we're working on going to all 50 states. Wow. It sounds, I, I sure hope it happens because it probably means you're just succeeding even more. You're seeing parts of our country many of us don't see. Um, a lot of us grow up in a town and don't necessarily get too far out of that town. Or we like the city, not the country. We like the country, not the city. Have you developed any kind of view of your fellow Americans based on just having been to all the different states and talked to all the different people at still a young age? It's, it's been incredible to see just the differences in cultures, right? From the North to the South to sort of the Midwest out in Arizona, uh, the West Coast. Um, and yet we've, we've met incredibly nice Americans everywhere we've gone. Uh, we, have, we have what we call our second family in several of the states uh, that we keep in touch with. I mean, like on a monthly basis, right? Um, so I think... I think the cultures may be, may be different, but there are nice people to be found everywhere, mm -hmm. right? So I think that you said earlier that you've been clocked as high as 96 miles an hour. Um, sounds like it takes a lot of work just to do that. That's not a natural born thing. Am I right about that? If you're having a two and a half hour workout where you're throwing the ball as hard as you can? That's, no, that's, that's true, that's true. I think that um, you, know, you may think that 96 is pretty darn hard, but it's about the average fastball out of the bullpen these days. So um, I'm on the slower end of the side. I got, I got to be honest. unbelievable to think that, that I don't, I can't believe that. I know at least among Full HQ, I believe you're the fastest arm in Full HQ today by about 20 should, miles an hour. You should, you know, maybe try 96 out on the highway. Just, you know, <laughs> see if it's fast enough for you. I actually have, and that's one of my many failings. <laughs> Did you get caught? Uh, yeah, I'm not that fast, but I have um, double-digit speeding tickets. That's the only double-digit radar that I hit on speeding tickets. Um, so, so 
what are your prospects just briefly playing forward the next season? You had a successful season at the Southern League and AA baseball. Uh, is Triple AAA, I believe it's the Durham Bulls, which is the Tampa Bay Rays organization you're in. Is that kind of what you're shooting for here? Definitely, no, definitely shooting for that. Uh, the Rays are very, very um, fortunate to, have, to be in a position where they have a lot of starting pitching uh, from double A to the big leagues. Um, so fortunate for them. It's going to be competitive for me, right? Um, but, but the Rays are a very, very young and very strong organization, and I think they have a, a you know, very bright future. I hope that I can be a part of it. So um, definitely shooting for triple A, and, and obviously that's, that's the next stop. And then the ultimate goal being the big leagues. So, and uh, are you going to make it? I think every kid that gets drafted and signs a contract has to say yes. And I I do believe that I can pitch in the big leagues. I think it has to be the right time, the right place, the right right organization. I believe that you will, and I'm looking forward to it. Thank you, David. Uh, and uh, y- you are obviously a player. I know that you spend some time in the administrative offices of at least one major league team. So I'm just curious, as we start to shift to business and finance, your perspective on baseball as a business. Yeah, it's, it's, I'm hopeful for baseball that is going, it is going to continue to grow. I mean, it, it's America's pastime. Um, I, I have read that, you know, in, in, uh, in-person attendances are sort of sort of moderating, but TV revenues are, are better than ever. Um, so I think there will be some interesting trends with my, you know, my age, millennials, maybe um, coming out as more of a social event, but keeping in touch on the TV sort of more regularly. Um, so that'll be kind of something interesting that I'll be watching kind of from the, the business side of it. I think it's, I think it's a sport that's really poised for, for family growth. Um, I mean, it's just a great family environment. You know, you can take your kids out there, you know, for just call it 80 bucks and hot dog beer and, and have a great time, family friendly environment. Um, you know, ho- hopefully not too many bench clearing brawls, although, the, you know, if that's, that's, you know, hey, free, free MMA fighting, you know, that's fine too. I mean, but. as a kid, I definitely always cheered on any bench clearing <clears throat> brawl that might happen. And I, my brother Tom's in the audience today and he, yeah. and I know that, that yeah. that's kind of what you want is it's turn just into a professional yeah. wrestling match, but no. it's a great, it's a great sport. It's a family sport. And, I think they're doing a lot of uh, initiatives to try and keep the game rolling, speed the game up a little bit, and keep fans engaged, right? So I think I, I'm, I'm positive on the, the overarching sort of macro trends on baseball. I think that it's, it's, it's headed in the right direction. So, Ben, back to you for a sec. Um, I'm pretty sure you tended to be near the top of your class at each level of schooling. So I'm pretty sure within the minor league baseball grand contingent of hundreds of players, you're probably among the brightest of the players, and you have a great eye for finance and business. Is, uh, is that, what, are, what is your view of like your peers, your fellow 25-year-olds, in terms of financial literacy, financial understanding? If you could make one wish for your fellow players on your team, if they hear this podcast, what's one thing they should be doing in their financial lives? Yeah, and I'll be sure to share this with uh, a lot of them that I have a good relationship with, because I, I like to tell them all the time, hey, in the minor leagues, you've got a lot of things taken care of for you for those five months, right? Take that signing bonus that you got, invest it. Because in the long term, if you can make it through, that will be worth it. And so putting it into the stock market for the long term, maybe investing um, in some real estate, but something that's going to be a product, as Warren Buffett always likes to say, something that's gonna be a productive asset for the long term. 
Yeah, and so a lot of guys maybe get like, let's say $150,000 signing bonus. Not a bad thing for somebody who you know, had a dream in high school and all of a sudden is getting a six-figure check. But maybe a one-off, a one-shot, a signing bonus. So what percentage of your peers in your estimation make a good decision with that and then what percent buy a car or, uh, or live on it, which I guess is not necessarily a bad decision if that's what they have to do. Right. Yeah, I think it depends on where they got drafted, how much they signed for, where they came from, uh, family background. And so it just depends on a, a number of factors. Um, but I, like I said, going back to your earlier question, I always tell guys, if possible, because I, I, I don't know their, their background. Everybody's I what, different. I don't know where they're coming from. I don't know their sort of their, uh, their proclivities to risk or you know, the ups and downs in the market. I just tell them, hey, if it were me and you could live off of what you get, right? Take that signing bonus and invest it. You will be glad you did in 10 to 20 years. Like there's, there's just... There's no doubt about that. But again, I don't know their, their backstory, where they're coming from. Do you feel so. like they listen to you? I think maybe more and more. They're realizing how much of a fool and a nerd I am. <laughs> so uh, maybe a little bit more and I more. Uh, when I first started, there were some guys looking at me like I had six eyes. <laughs> like, man, you're in baseball. What are you talking about? Stocks? <laughs> I mean, so. I got to imagine on every team you've been on, you have like the reputation as the Buffett guy. <laughs> More like the nerd, but I'm, I'm working on I'm working on that. Power Moves by New York Times bestselling author Adam Grant is available on Audible, and you can get it for free when you sign up for a free Audible trial at audible.com/foolpower or text foolpower to 500 500. Now, in Power Moves, Adam interviews two dozen major CEOs and leaders to talk about how power is changing today and the best ways to use it effectively. Adam Grant has been very influential here at The Motley Fool. In fact, my brother Tom Garter had the opportunity to interview him right here uh, at Fool HQ in front of Fools and I think it was 2016, just a few years ago. For those who have not been lucky enough to hear him speak in person, you can get the next best thing with his Audible book, Power Moves by Adam Grant, available now on Audible. Get it for free. Sign up for a free Audible trial, audible.com slash foolpower, or text foolpower, all one word, to 500-500. So Benton, you're blogging. You started, I think it's, I think it's like blog number 48. So is that almost a year of weekly blogs? Almost a year, yes. So I sort of had this idea, again, this comes shamelessly cloned from a Buffett phrase uh, known as the circle of competence. So, so that's again, the circle of competence. Um, what are you good at? What do you know? And uh, what I know was, was baseball and uh, not much else. So I decided, well, I like finance a lot. I like to read a lot. Why don't I just start sharing some links that I think are interesting? Um, when I feel like maybe I have a good grasp on something, I'll just start writing some thoughts down. And just in the, I say 48, I think 48 episode, or, uh, issues that I've done, I've just noticed when you, when you write things down and set a schedule for yourself to, to express those thoughts, how much better and more comfortable you feel doing that and how much, uh, how much quicker you can actually do that. So it's been a fun process. I think it helps you sharpen your thinking, sharpen your writing skills, your communication skills, and it keeps me accountable to, to read more. So I love it. It's been, it's been a, lot, a lot of fun. We really do write in order to learn. Now, the name of your blog is Circle of Competence. I believe the 
URL is circleofcompetence.co. Co, that's right. Yeah, did somebody get circleofcompetence.com? Some internet squatter. Yeah. I'm, I'm still working on it, but. <laughs> circleofcompetence.co, and really thoughtful um, look at what's happening in the world of finance, and it makes me wonder, Ben, like, what are you reading? What do you keep up with? How do you find the stories and headlines that you want to comment on each week? Deal book, New York Times, um, pitch book, um, I have one on Sunday, a few on Sundays actually that I really like. The Exponential View is more of a techie one, exponentialview.co. And so I said, well, he's doing .co, so I can do .co. He has, <laughs> All a, the cool he has kids. thousands and thousands of subscribers, and I have, you know, maybe a hundred and some. So um, subscribe, please. Yeah. Well, but I hope uh, you get a few more this week. Let's see. What, what else? Uh, Benedict Evans is a good tech one. I mean, there, there are a lot of these type newsletters that I yeah. really scroll through for the headlines. I open a bunch of stuff, probably don't get to all of it, but when I really find something that I, I'm trying to do, again, focus, trying to do a better job of, when I find something that I think um, has a, a, a really impactful message or a thesis behind it that I think you can learn a nugget and, and sort of build off of that, I'll try and share it. And uh, do you write multiple drafts? Do you just throw down stream of consciousness? How do you make that blog happen on a weekly basis? We have a lot of people listening who blog or probably would like to. I think a lot of it starts with a seed of an idea um, that I've either had and I'll write it down and then I'll come back to it. And then it starts to sort of sprout like a stream of consciousness. The, the one that I just wrote, I wrote uh, a small post on um, Masayoshi Son and the Vision Fund. And um, that's something that I've been really interested in. I mean, it's incredible how he raised $100 billion to deploy into venture-backed companies. Changes the whole metrics of the industry and valuations of lots of things around the world. Lots of things, yes. And so there are a lot of knock-on effects from that. And to, to me, it does seem a bit of a um, sign of the times, almost. You know, how, how, how could you raise $100 billion in 2009, 10, 11, 12? I don't know that it would have been very, very you know, even possible, right? Mm -hmm. You've seen a lot of these private equity firms that are raising 15 to $20 billion in, in dry powder. And so a lot of money out there seeking, you know, what deals, right? Yeah. Um, so, but that just kind of came to me as a trend that I was noticing, you know, crop up and up and up and, and keep, you know, coming up. And so I really wanted to kind of hone in on that. And that's, so it's kind of an organic process. When I notice something and I really like a trend, I'm like, well, that's interesting. Let's, let's explore that. So I try and do something a little bit different, um, different industry or a different concept or topic yep. each week. And I know you're interested in real estate as well, talking about different interests and you're invested in real estate. I am, yes. Um, what about, since we like to talk more about stocks maybe than anything on Rule Breaker Investing, what are some of the favorite companies or interesting companies that you're looking at right now? Yeah, so I, so just to get back to some of those big asset managers, um, I own some shares in a company called Brookfield Asset Management, and I really jive with uh, Bruce Flatt, who's the CEO, his investing uh, philosophy. Uh, he gave a great talk, which I have to be honest, I had been studying their company, but then he gave this great uh, talk at Google, Bruce Flatt, just Google it, uh, talk uh -huh. at Google. Yeah. Um, Bruce Flatt, CEO of Brookfield Asset Management, on his value investing philosophy and how they're trying to build their business. I mean, it's like the greatest primer on their business ever. And I was like, I'm in. This is a great business, and they just raised a $15 billion fund, so they've got a lot of dry powder, and they've been in the business for in, in alternative assets of renewables, uh, real estate, 
um, infrastructure and so kind of those alternative spaces and now they're managing funds for you know so they're, they're having they have leverage on leverage um, I mean, and they're growing their assets and their management at a really big clip, and their fees from the assets, I mean, at like a 20 to 30% clip. So mm. um, they're not exactly cheap, but I think they're a solid company, well-positioned. So, um, and that's the stock you own directly? Brookfield Asset Management, yeah. Love Bam. hearing that people own stocks directly. Often it's not cool to do anymore. It seems the cool kids are all signed in and just indexing. Uh, but of course, we think it's cooler to buy great companies directly. I agree. Do you remember what the first stock is that you bought? I thought you might ask this, and so I actually had had gone back and looked at this. The first two stocks that I bought were Apple and Google. Pretty awesome, and you've just held them ever since. No. <laughs> Talk about a first-rate education. I mean, really, right? And um, so I made a quick profit on the Apple, uh, what I would call a trade, not an investment. Um, Do you remember roughly where you bought it and how long you held it and when you sold no, it? No, this was probably 10 plus years ago. And um, I mean, at the time, you know, I had opened up like a, my really my dad opened it up on, on my behalf. Um, I was, you know, paper trading. Then I said, well, dad, I've been following this stock, these two stocks, like I want to buy them. <laughs> and uh, and at, at that time, it was more like, dad, can I buy some options on the stocks? And he was like, well, just, you know, trade the stocks first, you know, kind of understand them, their business, and then maybe we can go into the options, right? So I made a little profit on, on okay. Apple. I think it, you know, maybe 25, 30%, whatever, um, over a six-month, year-long period. Yep. And great, fantastic, good. I mean, it shows you had really good instincts for company selection. Man, I wish I would have held on to it, right? Famous last words. So, um but has that been instructive for you very, as an investor? Very. And that's one thing that I really, and I was talking to Morgan and my father-in-law about this, Steve, I love you guys' philosophy on that of we're not looking at the next quarter, we're not like looking at the next year, we're looking at the big trend and holding this hopefully forever. This is a company that we want to buy in and partner with for the long term, right? So when you go and look at your track record and you look at the Netflixes, the Disneys, right? And made up 200 times your money or, you know, 180 or whatever it was. I mean, that's awesome. That's, that's the kind of investor that I, I want to be. That was not the kind of uh, investor I was, right? So when you start out, a lot of people come in through the trading side. Oh, the money's easy. I can just, you know, bam, bam. I can buy a, a call option and it'll go up, a, you know, 5% and I make 100% all my money. And I said, yeah, it's really that easy. <laughs> if it was that easy, everyone would be doing it, right? Um, and so, so I think that the education um, that I got early on was buy and hold good companies, right? And uh, we're going to open it up for questions in just a minute, so I know there are going to be a couple out there. Maybe just one more question for you for now, Benson, and that is, because um, I know you read widely, you think about the future, which is, by the way, all that really matters, because every investment record we're talking about is something that's already happened, any number, or any stock move, it's all about what happens next that matters. So looking ahead, what are a couple of trends or focal points for you that excite you and that listeners uh, would do well to pay attention to? Automation's one that I've really honed in on. And I'm a big fan of technology and automation. I think it improves quality of life. It takes people out of uh, less sort of um, robotic, robotic, more menial, kinds menial, of stuff. menial yeah. type, type jobs. And um, I think in the short term, there may be some pain associated with that. There's a great study out from a, um, a professor over at, I think, Oxford. 
who, who did some work on this. And, but I think long-term it'll create more jobs. It'll move us into a, a technologically um, faster society. Um, but there, there's going to be some real winners and losers from that. Um, and also, you know, potentially on the, on the labor side. Um, obviously, I mean, the elephant in the room is retail you know, with Amazon. Although I did read a great article this past week that I'll be sharing about the death of retail, not as much an Amazon effect, but maybe a social media effect that people don't really care as much about how they dress, but how they look in their social media, Mm. which is really interesting. I had never thought about that um, because you can, you know, you can look good from TJ Maxx for the same price as you can from, from Saks Fifth Avenue, right? And an Instagram post. Anyways, just a, just a kind of a hot take on that. Thank you. All right. Questions. Uh, the Motley Fool has been interested in esports lately. As a professional athlete in real sports, what's your take on the rise of video games, basically? That is a fantastic, and actually, that's another trend I should have said. I, I, honestly, I need to go back to my blog to look at all the, because I have like these industries that I kind of tag things under. Esports is a huge opportunity. Huge opportunity. Uh, I feel like you're looking at me like you've called some of these big, big companies. No, I just, I, I agree with you. Yeah, so, yeah I, I mean, you, you, the yeah, you have. But I, mean, I think have, a lot of the world still doesn't get it. They're like, why would you watch people play video games? And and I'm not a huge gamer, right? But what I when I really started to pick up on it was this past season when <laughs> I used to ask all my friends, hey, like, what are y'all doing? Uh, you guys want to go grab something to eat? No, man, we got a, uh, no, we're, we're getting on Fortnite tonight. Sorry. <laughs> Right, and uh, which, by the way, um, I think it's who makes that Epic, right? Yes, it's uh, Epic Mega Games. Another epic co- good company, Tencent Holdings. Mm-hmm. Um, they own a lot of uh, a big chunk of Epic, I believe. So they're a good. I think they're a Chinese company. I own they a are. couple shares of them. Yep. Um, esports, I think, is going to be huge. I, I read an article a few a few months ago about how the championships of some game I've never heard of nor played, again, I'm not a big gamer, but I think there's going to be a lot of opportunity there, drew more viewership than like the last two or three Super Bowls combined. I mean, it's incredible the amount of eyeballs they have on that. And Twitch, I think, who bought Twitch? Google or Amazon? Amazon, Amazon. Twitch. And at the time, they paid an astronomical price of it was like a billion, a billion right? Yeah. And that looks like pocket change now. So I think they were obviously very ahead of the curve there, but at the time it looked extremely pricey as an acquisition. So I think it's gonna be a massive opportunity. Um, I have no future in it because I'm terrible at any (laughs) video game. Um, But when I can find some good companies that I think are really gonna outperform, yeah, I wanna get my hands on some shares. So we should talk after the show. You talked about being really competitive. Um, have you ever lost your cool on the field and taken a swing at someone or have someone take a swing at you? I know I think the pitchers usually are in there, right? Love the cage match question. We have to have one every rule breaker investing week. The first, the, the first part of the question of have you ever lost your cool, if you just stopped there, I could have said yes, but then you said and. And so taking a swing, no. Nor have I ever had anyone take a swing at me. Um, I can't say that I'm mad about that. Um, but uh, I, yes, if you play a, a, a sport long enough, or even esports, there will be a time <laughs> that you get mad and lose your cool. Uh, I try not to do it in front of everyone. Um, it has happened. 
I have seven questions. Uh, the first is not a question, it's just to let you know that Apple, 10 years ago, by the way, I did not own the stock either, um, when you were trading it, we were reflecting that we didn't know exactly what the return has been since, but it's been a 10-bagger. So 25% return is great for six months, uh, but it's a great learning lesson. We've all learned it. I learned it with Dell Computer uh, before you were born. Um, so what, what's one thing that you would change about the game of baseball to make it even more enjoyable for the fans? I would, man, we could write an entire book on this. I would say um, just more fan engagement, and I think that starts with the players. Um, and, and look, I, I'm not going to say that I'm perfect about this because when you've had a long day and those fans are waiting out there, they want you to sign something or they want you to just take a picture, right? Um, I would say that, you know, starting with me, we, we should do a good job of engaging the fans and building relationships and encouraging them to sort of build that personal connection. Um, I think that's very, very important. Um, and then they have done some things, some rules, uh, starting in the minor leagues to speed the game up. So they've actually put like a shot clock or a pitch clock up there. Um, I'm, I'm, I kind of work fast already, but uh, for some guys that's been, that's been good. So it's the game like 20 work. seconds, isn't that what it is? I think it's 15. 15 seconds. Right. 15 so seconds in between pitches. Pitch? Spend a little time, pitch right. the game. Yeah, so if you're, if you are, you're gonna, you know, you get the ball back, you get your sign, and if you're not in your windup or, or in the set position about to throw, as the clock runs out, as a pitcher, you get a ball, if the batter's not in the box, with two feet in the box ready to hit, they get a strike. So, I mean, and I've seen twice, I've seen um, batters actually strike out on this. They were not very happy, and that definitely cost us more time than it was worth. So um, I guess it nets out. But the effect of, hey, I need, to, I need to get the ball and I need to go, right? How has Moneyball uh, affected the way you pitch, how, you're, how you are evaluated as a pitcher, um, and are there any sort of advanced statistics that you use in evaluating yourself that maybe we haven't heard of yet? So not necessarily me evaluating myself. I, I, I'd have to defer to sort of the higher-ups in the Rays, but I do know that they're very, very, very much into these analytics, as we talked about earlier today. Um, I mean, they have, you know, these advanced statistics like the bat pip, the batting average on bases, or batting average of balls in play, and then they have, you know, sort of the second derivative of that. I mean, they have so many ways they can slice and dice this data, and now they're starting to get data on the way your ball moves, um, sort of the the on hitters, you know, the angle of your bat, the approach of your, your approach angle to the ball, uh, the trajectory that is coming off of your bat, the speed at which it's coming off. Is it a ground ball? Is it a line drive? Is it a pop fly? What's the percentage? I mean, they can slice and dice everything now uh, down to the nth degree. So there is a big trend, um, not only in baseball, but in, in a lot of sports. Uh, and how can these analytics make us better as a team and in player development? So um, I, can't, I mean, I'm not on that side. So I, I get that, that experience and I get the feel that that's what's going on and I understand that's what's going on. They don't obviously share a lot of that with me except for the player development side of, hey, we think this can make you better. Um, and we could sit, again, we could sit and talk a long time about how that's changed the face of baseball and, and other sports. So One more baseball question for you, Benton. And that's just that I've noticed as a fan of the last few years that pitchers and how they're being used at the major league level anyway seems to be changing. The idea of a starting pitcher, um, that, that's blurring. It's disappearing some. And now it's about starting a reliever or every pitcher just coming in and throwing a couple innings every few days. 
Um, do you think that trend's going to continue? What is your view as a traditional starting pitcher yourself? That and I believe that trend uh, originated with the Rays. Um, the past your year. organization exactly right, and um, and so we actually did some of that down in Double A. I believe they did it throughout the organization, but more so as you you know sort of moved up the ladder. And to the best of my knowledge, the way to explain it, I guess, um, and the way it was explained to me, that the statistics, you know, on paper shows that it would be better to sort of bring your closer in fresh to face the very top of the lineup. The best hitters. The best hitters, right? So your closer with the nastiest stuff to come in, face those guys, sit down the one, two, three, or one, two, three, and four batters if, if one of them gets a hit or walks or whatever. Then have your starter come in and go five, six, seven, eight, nine, so that when they roll the lineup over for let's call it the third time, they're facing the top hitters only t- uh, the, for the second time. Okay. Does that make Does that make sense? Yes. And so they can get deeper into the game without having to face the top of the lineup a third time. So do you think it's going to persist? And what's your how How psyched are you about that as a pitcher? Well, I think there will always be a role for I don't even want to call I don't want to call them starters, but pitchers that will go longer and pitchers that will go come in and, and go three innings or less, right? And what, whether you call them a starter or a longer reliever or a second starter, I don't you know they mm-hmm. they called the the closer and opener this year when you come in open and, and open the game, not a starter but an opener, opener to the starter, right? Um, I think as teams see how the statistics bear out, you know, and, and how that takes place, more and more people will either write it off or it will turn into a trend. But, I mean, one year, mm-hmm. it's not – I don't think it's enough sort of across time data. You're that, not being managed that way at A or maybe at AAA this year. No, I came in um, probably f- three or four times after a, an opener. Yeah, maybe even more than that in so double. You did. Yeah, so yeah. I have I, no, I have I've experienced that. Yeah, it's yeah. an int- it's it's a little bit different. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, some guys like it, some guys don't. I don't really mind, but um, it's just a different a different take on trying to maximize your team and what you have um, based on what the statistics say. So, all right, last question for you, Ben. Would you like to come work for the Molly Fool when you retire from professional baseball? I guarantee you a job. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. So so you got that in your back pocket plan, you know, B or maybe even Z for you, but you got, you got that plan. And thank you very much for joining us this week on Rule Breaker Investing. It's a delight to meet somebody uh, so young, so accomplished, so intellectually curious and concerned for the future of all of us. Thank you, Ben Moss. Thank you so much, David. Thanks for having me. Well, I know who I'm going to be cheering on as a baseball fan this summer. Yes, I have my favorite teams, but now I think we have a favorite player, whether he's playing for the Montgomery Biscuits, the Durham Bulls, or indeed the Tampa Bay Rays, or anywhere else. Benton Moss, thank you again, Benton, for joining with me. Best wishes to him. Maybe we'll check back in with him sometime down the line. Well, next week, we're going to continue with the power of and, but this time it's not going to be and people. It's going to be three five-stock sampler reviews. That's right, we're going to review five Supernova stocks I liked in February 2016, and we're going to check in with five stocks the world needs right now, which I did in February 2017. Maybe you see where we're going here, because in February 2018, I also dropped on you another five-stock sampler. That was 
the next five stocks to feed the bear. All three of those five-stock mini-portfolios I picked, we're going to check and see how they did, see what we can learn from how they've done, and improve our investing going forward. So I'm really looking forward to sharing with you three five-stock sampler reviews only on Rule Breaker Investing next week. In the meantime, with pitchers and catchers starting to report, fool on. As always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Learn more about Rule Breaker Investing at rbi.fool.com.